0: Do you think that, by nature, some people should just be priced out of advanced fertility, for instance? It seems that's what we have with regards to everything else, right? So you can't drive a Ferrari because you can't afford a Ferrari. Now, is it okay for the market to shape a similar relationship to raising, uh, giving birth to and raising children?
1: In any system, if you maximize one component, in this case, in a society, if you maximize one individual, that could come at a huge cost to the system.
0: Welcome back to Radius of Reason, uh, a lowbrow podcast about highbrow topics. Uh, we like to discuss politics, science, philosophy, and other things that cause us existential dread. My name is Andre. I'm joined by Levon, my co-host. Hello. Uh, it's great to be with you. This is episode 20. Now, let me ask you something. We talk about this stuff a lot, but really, how do you think is the, the world's going to end? How is our civilization on this planet going to die out? Is it war? Is it climate change? Is it because we're not having enough sex? What do you think?
1: It's definitely because we're not fucking enough. At least the Chinese, for sure. Because what we've seen here in, in recent studies is China's population is going to be cut in half by the year 2050. Um and they're not the only Asian country that's suffering. Obviously, Japan and Korea in particular Geriatrics. are really, really suffering. Yeah. There's a crazy stat about Korea's birth rate being at a 0. 0.8, which to us normal people is like, what, what does 0. 0.8 mean? Well, let me put it into context. A birth rate of 1.9 will have your population halved in f- every 500 years. Right a birth rate of 1.8 will be every 250 years. So all you have to do is do the math
0: and s- to see like how fucked Koreans are. Yeah, it's like the South um, Korean civilization is on track to essentially become extinct in the next couple hundred years unless something serious changes. Now, but this isn't just East Asia that's undergoing right. these shifts. I mean, even here in the United States, how many people do we know and we're in our 30s? Yeah. We don't really know that many people that have let alone one kid but multiple children and i think it's something people are becoming increasingly concerned about it's nothing really new you know the united nations has been ringing the bell on population decline Mm -hmm. since the 1970s Uh, some countries again are a little bit further ahead in, in the decline than others but this is an issue that just like climate change and thermonuclear war is one of those factors that we have to grapple with is something that could potentially bring about the end of our civilization. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, real quick, I want to circle back to your point about, you know, us being in our thirties and how many people we know that are childless. There's another crazy stat, which, um, is apparently the case for all like developed countries. Mm -hmm. If you're a woman who reaches the age of 30 and you're childless, there's a 50% chance that you will remain childless and this isn't
0: you just making this up no
1: this is this is a an expert on population collapse had said this i forgot his name so (laughs) whatever but yeah the the point is you know not just due to biological factors in terms of infertility but due to the social circumstances in developed countries uh due to the career paths that people take also due to finding the right partner you know now we have dating apps and we have this kind of um, issue with just uh, the paradox of choice, et cetera. Um, these are all playing into a very interesting dynamic that's occurring um, where birth rates are now at a critical juncture of being um, kind of not irreplaceable or e, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um sustaining or or yeah yeah sustaining let's just say that anyhow and you
0: know i think it's interesting because a lot of the maybe political groups that are discussing this outright tend to be from more conservative circles Mm -hmm. and i think there is obviously the very very uh racist kind of ultra right-wing narrative about being replaced by certain ethnic groups and and we certainly saw that unfold in Charlottesville um, a couple years back when they had the Unite the Right rally, where the the ultra right wing, the, the almost the neo-Nazi wing of American politics and, and globally tends to espouse this kind of narrative. I think that there is a conversation also to be had from the other side of the spectrum, maybe from the political left in the United States, that can explore the fact of why individuals aren't having children necessarily. And you mentioned societal factors, right? I think that's a huge piece of what we're grappling with in the U.S. is that policy isn't really being shaped to encourage individuals to have children, right? The access to quality healthcare, to quality education, to financial stability, it's all very perilous in the U.S., I think, at this point. And nobody really wants to take the risk of having multiple children under circumstances that maybe aren't ideal. Now, I can already hear maybe my parents' generation saying, it's like, oh, well, we had you in like far more difficult right, circumstances. Right. But I think there is something about the general sense of instability and panic that a lot of um, individuals from our age group have about having children, especially when... We're talking openly about things like climate change and the impacts that, that we're having. on the
1: do, you, do you think the media's, uh, you know, dooming of, of all these issues has contributed to that collective psych- psychology and maybe hesitation to, I, ha- to
0: have kids? I, I think it certainly plays a role into it. I think maybe the more like existential anxiety that we tend to feel does come as a consequence of. Constantly being hit with this information over and over again. I think there are other factors in play as well where a lot of people from our generation had to witness our parents go through the 2008 recession, how a lot of families were left absolutely destitute in this country. So it's easy to attribute blame to a lot of different factors. I think that the, a lot of conservative arguments tend to leverage... Declining birth rates is an example of how oh, our, our culture has kind of evolved to sort of this point where we're straying further and further from God, right? Where we've left the the sacred duties we have as people. Oh no,
1: that's that's the primary factor, man. Yeah. We, we we are disobeying the Lord. We are
0: we, so. we, yeah, we are disobeying the Lord's calling. Um, and the damn TikTok is making us have less sex. <laughs> that being said, there are I think factors to consider in why people are having less children, but simultaneously those who are taking it upon themselves to be the mantle of increasing our population, this kind of new form of, I guess the the term would be natalism, this idea that, oh we should be having a lot of children is emerging in wealthier parts of our society to kind of counterbalance the, population declines we're experiencing across the globe to a certain extent and that's interesting and i think alarming too to a certain
1: extent and that is what we are going to discuss in this episode of radius of reason but before we progress in this dialogue we're going to ask you the subscriber to please hit the subscribe button or not the subscriber the listener and the viewer to hit the subscribe button this <laughs> is we're going to clip. Are we keeping
0: this or are we Keep getting it. this is, this is a gift to the, to the viewers. Humanizing <laughs> us. Uh, we had some people express concern after our last episode <laughs> that we're actually AI algorithms. Cause we're so polished.
1: Hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, comment and enjoy the show.
0: Yes. And be sure to follow us on Twitter as well. Radius underscore of engage with us. Be great to talk to you. Um, but if you criticize my sweaters, we're, we're banned.
1: I enjoy the sweater criticism, so I encourage it. Okay. Um, so let's kind of talk a little bit more about this kind of neo-pre or pro-natalism yeah. movement.
0: Yeah. And it's nothing new, right? It's, I, I think... That, that I, well
1: natalism. Well, natalism... Is not a new no. thing and being pro natalist is not a new position, no. but in conjunction with the, the kind of Silicon Valley right. elites, right. Uh, you, you think there's something I
0: do. new I, happening. I, I think just like Silicon Valley tends to repackage everything that already exists into something new and then sell it and market it to people. I think that's exactly what we're seeing emerge with quote unquote neonatalism. Again, the the fact of living to have children, to reproduce, that's been something that has, I think, dominated the human condition forever. In the past, it's been because you need a lot of children to, first of all, replace all the ones that die, which is kind of sad. Then as I think our economies took off, you needed a lot of children to help work in the fields and then work in the factories, and I think the modern form of natalism really took off in the in the late 19th, early 20th century as a response to industrialization, where a lot of people did enter the workforce and spent less time looking and having kids. So there was a wing of Christianity that started promoting something called the Quiverful Movement, the idea being the biblical reference to, you know, your, your children are like arrows in your quiver and, and they're going to protect you and they're going to help you survive in mm-hmm. this world. But this movement took off in the late 19th, early 20th century. That was essentially a rejection of contraception and then birth control when it came up in the mid-century. And the ideas are very much similar to what we're going to talk about today, right? You should have children because that is your God-granted duty. is your purpose to reproduce. And now in response to, I think, greater conversation around these statistics of population decline more and more wealthy elite at least here in the united states are publicly speaking out about their duty kind of reproduce and to have more children while the poor and working classes can't necessarily do so i think the biggest icon of this is elon musk he's spoken very openly about having what like 10 kids by this point two of which he had through um, IVF with like his secretary, he's had him with Grimes, with his first ex-wife. But he's all about this notion of, yeah, I have to reproduce because it's my duty. I'm wealthy. I have a high IQ. I have to reproduce, and that I think is where we. Or,
1: st- or is it? Or is he just insecure? He just wants to let people know that he fucks. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, what better way to, to uh, let people know you fuck than, than having a bunch of kids? Right. It's like, hey. <laughs> um, but I think that point is actually pretty. Scary is the fact that it starts wandering into the territory of eugenics to a certain extent. The idea that some people should reproduce versus others, because some people produce superior genetics. And that's kind of the narrative that's taking shape in Silicon Valley, where a lot of these wealthier families see themselves as ultimate successes in the current socioeconomic system. Therefore, something must be intrinsically linked to their biology that they're gives special. them the imperative they're special. produce. They're special. You're just jealous you're not there. I'm jealous <laughs> that I'm not there. Um, So, I think that there's two separate conversations to be had. Uh, there is, as we always talk about, a question of policy. Right? Where clearly something is going on at the level of the individual around the world where they're not feeling the the pressure or the security or the stability to have children. Some countries have started moving towards natalist policy to to help address these factors. It's things like in Finland, that the government guarantees uh, time off for mothers and fathers after a child is born. They guarantee placement in daycares, guarantee healthcare, things things along those lines. And then there's also the market response that we're seeing in, in things like Silicon Valley, producing tech companies to make it possible to expand the window of fertility for men and women to have children safely in their 40s and 50s. Those are two parallel things I think that are going to lead to two separate outcomes. I personally think that policy approach is the greatest potential savior we have for reducing our demographic crisis that we're rapidly approaching. And I think the market approach is ultimately going to lead to what we'll talk about a little bit with neo-eugenics.
1: Well, well said. Um, yeah, dude. I... <laughs> what do you want me to say, man? Like, what, do, what, do I, what do I even say in response what to, do that? Even say to that? Like, there's a, you're on point.
0: So I was saying all of that with the intention of asking you, do you think capitalism is capable of preventing the population collapse we're facing? Yes.
1: Ooh. Maybe, actually. Maybe. Well, capitalism loves to solve problems.
0: Bunch of thirsty boys out there.
1: There's a bunch of thirsty world. men and in some cases women, women to ladies who guys. want to solve these problems and make a lot of money. So you can bet your ass there's going to be a lot of uh, technology aimed at um, fertility. Uh, and I think you, we're going to see in Silicon Valley that attract a lot of venture capital.
0: Um, yeah, I think the, the fertility, the stat I had here is that the fertility industry is expected to expand to be like $70 billion by 2025. So, I mean, they're trying. And yeah, so I think in general, it's going to be easier for people to delay
1: having kids and have some insurance plans basically for that. But that is not going to be sufficient to counteract the level of population decline that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I want to kind of reverse the question and ask you, do we really need to avert this population collapse? Because when you have automation and AI coming to fruition, uh, when AI is going to allow people to do one guy, one guy to do the work of 10 in white collars, at least in the white collar sector, uh, eventually, you know, that's going to hit all sectors, but is it actually a blessing in disguise? to have a reduced population because what happens if you have millions of people without jobs, right? You're going to have a lot of political and societal instability. So
0: what are your thoughts? Yeah. I I think that in my opinion is it's almost an easy way out of some of the problems we talked about in our last episode in that AI, the, 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 absolute dumpster fire that the market is going to be after we introduce unrestricted AI, which is kind of, I think the direction we're heading in right now, right? There's going to be no caps on it. There's going to be no um, attempts to protect the people that are going to be essentially developed out of their, their current jobs. So it does seem like a very easy solution is just to kind of let the, the population decrease so that we won't actually have to put any guardrails around tech. I also think that's like a batshit crazy way of thinking. That we should indeed have these conversations and figure out how can we wrangle in some of the, the worst elements of our economic system without resorting to like, yeah, you know what, like a certain percentage of the population is just going to never come to fruition. Um, so I personally think that we should do everything in our power to maximize the survival of our, of our civilizations, collective human civilization, right? And not, not speaking about the U.S. specifically. And I think as it stands, the market isn't really capable of doing that because you made a very interesting point about it's going to be easier uh, with some of the research and investment that's happening. into fertility studies. It's going to be easier for people to have families later in life. I think it's going to be easier for certain people to have families later in life, because I think that that's going to be a very cost restrictive um, I don't even know what to call it, a therapy or a technology to implement. And it's going to ensure that only a select group of people mm-hmm. are families. Now, the question I have for you is, do you think that's ethical? Do you think that by nature, some people should just be priced out of advanced fertility, for instance? It, it seems that's what we have with regards to everything else, right? So you can't drive... Ferrari because you can't afford a Ferrari. Now, is it okay for the market to shape a similar relationship to raising, uh, giving birth to and raising children?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Um, I, I, I think eventually, you know, when you have genetic engineering that is restricted to the elite class, that can definitely be a problem. But I think simply, you know, delaying, Having a family, that's more like a luxury that's maybe sometimes assumed. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with the with the, with being rich, that's kind of an assumption that we accept because they they have all sorts of luxuries, right? If you're not rich, yeah, you might have to try to have a family earlier in life because you're not capable of affording all these different technologies and and fertility options mm-hmm. that are going to be available it sucks. It's not fair, but that is capitalism. Like having more money affords you privileges. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but do you think that, do you think that this is going to be coupled with kind of this whole notion of designer babies and genetic engineering sooner than later? Like,
0: like what are your thoughts on that? I think a hundred percent. And I think, the technologies that are emerging out of a lot of this research is already moving in that direction, right? Kind of the study of embryos to figure out potential genetic manifestations. If indeed these are the embryos that are chosen for um, conceiving a child, right? So you can analyze an embryo to see if there's going to be a propensity as an adult for certain types of cancers, schizophrenia for, maybe certain behavioral uh, difficulties. That's already, I mean, that's not even science fiction. That, that, I think, is being implemented to a certain Mm -hmm. extent right now. So I think that's exactly the path we're getting on. Is this notion of a designer baby. That certain genes are more desirable than others, which to me, that just screams eugenics. Because the whole idea of something being more desirable than something else, you're already going to be like alienating an entire segment of of
1: now. Now eugenics is a broad notion though. Right. Because ideally I think everyone would accept like, Hey, if I can, if I can screen for certain diseases that are like basically gonna bound your potentially bound your child to like a lifetime of suffering, Mm -hmm. if I can screen for those and decide to not have children or maybe somehow do a gene modification to prevent that disease from manifesting in my child. I mean, I feel like everyone would accept that. So that's, that's one, you know, light eugenics, light, I guess, interpretation of what could happen. Of course, then you have like the actual ability to potentially increase IQ. If, if that was actually within reach, it's not at all right now. And it may not be, for a very long time, even with an artificial general intelligence, because the thing is like the human body is a, a chaotic system. Right. It, it's, it's very difficult to, to understand how those interactions take place. Um, and also intelligence isn't purely genetic. So you could probably only take you so far.
0: I think the facts are what they are, but I think on a social level, there already is a level of thought, again, from these more exclusive circles, at least here in the United States, that, oh no, indeed my genes are going to guarantee a higher level of humanity. And a great example of that is Jeffrey Epstein, where he had his ranch in rural New Mexico, where he wanted to have 20 women living there that he could just continuously get pregnant so that he could populate the world with offspring. Because he thought that based off of his success in life, whatever reason you know CIA whatever Mm -hmm. but he saw himself as a higher caliber of a human therefore he should be the one that's populating the planet with offspring and I mean it's it's a batshit crazy approach and I think Epstein was already kind of uh sort of encased on that path based off how he treated people in general but it's not that outlandish because if you look at you know Elon Musk's obsession with Genghis Khan for instance it kind of gives me a similar vibe where this notion that Genghis, everybody can trace like a certain percentage of their uh, gene pool to, to Genghis Khan or something like that. I, I think if you, if you already have the qualities of somebody who's going to be ruthless enough to to lay off hundreds of people to, to kind of tread over other people's shoulders to make your company successful, you're going to see yourself as like on a higher plane of existence than the average human. And you probably think that your genes are of a superior value. And I think the reason why there is kind of this burgeoning industry in Silicon Valley is particularly because of specifically because of this more of elitist mindset. That somehow you're not just financially superior to somebody. You're genetically superior to them as well, even though if it's not grounded. in,
1: Let me ask you a meta question here. Whoa. So we we know that people from, let's say, lower economic backgrounds tend to have more children um and maybe that could be due to some sort of subconscious process within them like may, there's probably some sort of evolutionary explanation for why this is the case um and so for you to then criticize the elite class mm-hmm. for wanting to have more children but do it, but do so in a way that's explicit and mm-hmm. conscious versus subconscious mm-hmm. Is that like a fair criticism? Because if at the end of the day, you know, that all stems to some extent, you know, from biology. I mean, we can talk about free will and or not, but is it like, you know, just because just as it's expressed in a different way, but achieves the same result? Because it, again, like people from lower economic backgrounds, the, the, the fact of the matter is they are having more kids, sure. right? right? And it, 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 does it matter if they're not saying that their genes are better?
0: That's a valid point. I do think it matters specifically because the, the exclusivity that's built up around integrating technology into the fertility process, it's coming from the same pools of people that are making it very, very hard from a policy standpoint to pass laws that would enable universal health care. They're actively lobbying against these things. They're actively damaging political movement movements that could maximize uh, these sorts of benefits for the bulk of the population. Right. It is seen as an exclusive thing. And I think that's the biggest difference is that when a poor family has a few children, they're not excluding other poor families from doing so. And they're not necessarily thinking about it as like, okay, well, I should be the one having children because I'm the best you know, example of humanity. I think it is an alarming and, and a pretty dangerous thing when you have groups of people that see it as their duty to populate the planet because they are the superior ones. I think that thought process is everything, uh, to answer your question. It is... I think once you start seeing yourself as even if it's not grounded in reality, but you're seeing yourself as a superior genetic specimen, that in itself is a dangerous thing. Because realistically, like, we're not. That's, you know,
1: kind of a prelude to like a Holocaust scenario.
0: Well, not even just a prelude. I I think it's perfectly in line with those sorts of things. And let me ask you a question. Is the notion of gene tailoring or maybe recognition of certain genes being better than others Is that a dangerous precedent for humanity?
1: So I, I, I think we already, I, I, I think intuitively humans already recognize certain traits are, are better. I think all else being equal, we would prefer say our child to be more intelligent, all else being equal. Um, so like we do already make that kind of assumption that intelligence for example is a desirable quality in the same way like having smooth skin versus like really maybe messed up skin or a bunch of moles on your face or something like those are so we we already kind of have like a gene quality detection system that's innately built I mean it's, it's kind of what's necessary when it comes to Um, reproduction when it comes to selecting a mate you're always making that calculation like why do you you know why did you choose your particular mate right
0: well you you assess their gene quality subconsciously okay so let me rephrase this question is kind of this neonatalism approach we're talking about and i think again we're differentiating natalism as it comes maybe throughout history with its common associations with religious imperative, I think neonatalism to me is something that's inherently tied with technology, right? So is neonatalism a logical continuation of evolutionary psychology? Or biology. Or biology. Yeah, or, But even psychology. When you say logical, so... Logical
1: continuation. We're like... Well, it's... I mean, we can... Sp- you know, we can sit here all day and try to figure out, well, what's natural and what isn't like, what are we going to define as natural and what isn't like on some, on some level you can say, this is just simply a natural expression of, of evolution, Mm -hmm. the course of evolution where we've developed these very large brains and we're able to actually do some genetic engineering. And so like, we're going to do it and we're going to see what happens. Um, so I think in that sense, it is, uh, part of the evolutionary path that we're on um but i i also do think like even if you have this scenario where you've basically got two groups right like in in the film gattaca <laughs> you, you you've got the the valids which are the you know, genetically modified people, the, the superhumans, and then you've got the invalids, the people that never received any genetic modification. Even if you have that condition, you're still going to have evolution act on those groups. And it's possible that the genetic engineering, first of all, it's entirely possible that we get it wrong and people get fucked up. Well, yeah. And everyone's scared shitless of ever doing that again. That could happen. Um, it's also possible that people start to select for very similar genes, which reduces genetic diversity, which predisposes to that group to more diseases and reduces their kind of immune
0: capabilities Corosomal as a group, anomaly, as a yeah. group. would well, we'll just which, be like giant planet of like Habsburg emperors. Like have you seen the, the paintings of I haven't. The, the inbred like Spanish <laughs> Kings like their tongues don't fit in their mouths because oh. <laughs> they're, so, they're
1: so like, in- but, but yeah, no, that, that, that is something that, I mean, you would think they would be smart enough to avoid if they're doing genetic engineering. Amazing.
0: Like we just assume that genetic engineering, we're all going to be like a bunch of like awesome, like hyper intelligent tech wizards. But in reality, we're just inbred. Like you're just inbred. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So, so that is one possibility. Um, And regardless, like there could be all sorts of things that are completely unforeseen. Again, like we don't really understand all these genetic interactions we don't really know in the long term what these effects are going to be, not just on the individual, but through multiple generations right. in a society. That is a question that we simply don't have any tools or methodology to figure out how to even begin tackling. Like we right. just don't know. You, you, you could have some really detrimental things happen to genetically engineered societies. I would be honestly, even if I was, in Silicon Valley and Elon Musk was my best friend I would be terrified in trying to do any sort of genetic engineering anything other than like screening for diseases like I I would if I had the financial capability and I was having kids I would absolutely screen for genetic issues right I mean why wouldn't you Right To me, it seems like the
0: moral imperative well, to do on, so. Hang on, l- l- let's, let's double click on that really quick. So is if you have the ability to do so, is it in fact like a civilizational imperative for you to ensure that your offspring is not going to have certain conditions or maybe a propensity for a certain condition?
1: I think when it comes to disease and suffering, it's something we absolutely want to avoid. Of course, we still want to have confidence that these technologies don't lead to other issues. Right. And that's that's a different question as
0: well. But and, and I think at this point, the technology is elementary in the sense that it is strictly detection. It's not sure, sure. modification where, you know, if you have an embryo and you run a, written down, a PGTP test on it, right, <laughs> which I referenced it earlier. It's essentially a, um, it's a genetic test for risks in embryos, um, for disorders that could emerge later in life as adults, things like schizophrenia, which starts manifesting a little bit later in life, um, so th- it's not like this uh, genetic test is able to alter the gene. The idea is is that if an embryo tests positive for it, it won't be used in an IVF treatment; it'll, it'll just be terminated. So th- th- that's the level of sophistication we're at, but it is still a it's a level of control that maybe we haven't historically had. And back to the question of, is it, if you have access to this technology, is it, F, is it unethical for you not to do anything with it essentially?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, again, I, I would say when it comes to just screening and detecting issues in your kids and trying to decide whether you should have kids, if you've got a high chance of, you know, giving birth to someone with a crippling disease like absolutely is a moral imperative to look at that and make a rational decision um and to avoid giving birth to people that are going to suffer like that's to me that seems like a no-brainer um but it gets just much more complicated when you look you know 10 20 30 years down the line and you have the, again, the designer babies issue of, well, I can make my kid 20% smarter if during pregnancy I take this pill or have this process done. Right? Like, a, 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 then it's like, okay, and if that became cheap, let's just say in theory, would that would it be, then be unethical? And in, let's say insurance covered it, so there's no question about cost, right? It's like, an ideal society. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> would it then be unethical not to make your kid 20% smarter? Because think about it, th- then they're going to, by virtue of not being 20% smarter than they would otherwise be, they're going to be at a massive disadvantage compared to other kids, well, I, which I could
0: we, lead to suffering. We have our right? answers already before us with things like early vaccination for certain things. I think we would all agree that where we're going into this territory, we would all agree that vaccinating your kids against <laughs> things like smallpox and polio is probably the ethical thing to do. Speak for
1: yourself, you coastal
0: elite. Yes, uh, yeah, precisely. A coastal <laughs> elite is a Michonne. That being said, for the most part, barring outliers, yeah, yep. we've accepted that as the ethical thing to do. In fact, it would be unethical not to give your kids the tools that are available right now to deal with very serious illnesses right so i think yeah like the, the path of logic is already there where if there is like some magical pill that increases iq by like 15 points or something like that um which i feel like was a very low iq state i just made but <laughs> yeah of course you you'd take it and i think the, the parallel that i want to draw is during the holocaust <laughs> okay a, hu- a huge driving force of the Holocaust, and this is in relation to the extermination of Jews and also the other um, groups that the Nazis targeted communists, uh, LGBTQ, mm-hmm. with um, chromosomal uh, abnormalities. abnormalities and whatnot. Oh. Is that not essentially the same thing that you're doing just at the very early, like embryonic stage, right? Where the horror of the Holocaust is that there was an institution that was deciding what can and cannot live. Right.
1: Right. After, after people are born, then, then that decision was being made and it manifests into a very cruel process and event. Right. But you're saying we're essentially doing the same thing I'm, with I'm genetic. Asking, I'm asking. I'm not, I, yeah. I, I, I think in principle, yeah, you, you are filtering in principle. It's the same thing. It's a filtering mechanism, right? Um, but of course, it's not conscious entities that are now suffering. It's just you're making cells. Yeah, it's so I, I think unless someone subscribes to some sort of panpsychism <laughs> viewpoint where everything has an innate consciousness and yeah. his ability to suffer or something. I, I, I think I think there is a, a critical distinction between so the, those. The, the, the I think that the idea is the same, but. In practice, obviously, it's much better to to do it before people are born than after the fact. Um, yeah, so I, I I I think, but I I just think I I guess the bigger problem though you you're, you're I sense that you're trying to get at something more fundamental, more deep than what we've discussed so far, because at some point the elite class as they continue to genetically modify themselves, they will have access to the newest technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, maybe they reach a sort of genetic escape velocity where they do become, you know, so much more superior, superior to the have nots. And then you have a sort of dualistic class system, um, which we already sort of have well, it, already it, but yeah but it would get it would it would go beyond economics right it would go beyond um i mean it would go beyond lifestyle it would go beyond fame i mean it, it would it would be something we've never seen in the history of humanity we would have essentially two different species of human
0: right no right? and i, I think i don't know the correct historical era but when you you still had like the neanderthals versus our immediate ancestors right well you almost had two different types of humanity this is like such a joe rogan moment god no 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 this is important though yeah but we we, we there were multiple types of, of oh god, humans And then one type ultimately succeeded based off of Rotor. Right. And I think you're painting a very accurate picture is that we have divisions in our. Society right now on like a social and economical level, right. Based off of an income that you're born into. You're already X amount of steps ahead of somebody who's born into a poor family. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we can find ways to balance it out and of action policies and scholarships and like we can still manage the differences as best as possible now to someone argue not enough, but the tools are there. But I like what you're describing in that the inequities we have now would be established at a genetic level where you almost wouldn't even be able to compete with somebody that's born into a certain class of society because they'll just be that much better at surviving an illness. or. And, and, and I'm also concerned about
1: you know what we know about human psychology we know that we're insanely tribal and we know that we can barely handle the level of tribal tribalism we see today based on differences that are in many cases very artificial or petty or something that shouldn't be as divisive as it seems to be mm-hmm. uh, if, we're, if we're being rational good human beings but when you have Substantial genetic differences and you see the divergence that might take place i mean we i don't know if we can fathom the level of tribalism that would take place in that society right and like you alluded to in our past you know when you had neanderthals and homo sapiens i mean what happened right they weren't that much different i mean they were different but they weren't
0: that much different and yet we're the neanderthals now
1: yeah and so i do think if that divergence continues and this gap gets large enough between the elite modified valids and then the unmodified invalids right at some point the value of the invalids is going to be akin to like chimps compared to human beings like, honestly, that's where it could go. Um, especially if you if you combine this thought experiment with where we might go with artificial general intelligence. Right. And if those people have, if they're the ones who own the artificial general intelligence, if they own the big AI companies um, and people in those circles are going to have such a huge advantage, I, I, I think they're going to have all the power like, it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a grim, potentially a very grim future that uh, and it this could lead to. And it sounds like
0: what we're getting at here, the fact that we are seeing the seeds of that society start to be planted right now, where we've, we have a recognized crisis. In addition to all the other factors that are threatening humanity, we do have a very real demographic crisis that is shaping up. We've talked about it uh, as a civilization. We've addressed it since sounds like the 70s when, when the bell started to be rung you know, by the United Nations about this. Um, and now it's entering more and more into maybe a level of popular understanding that two dudes at the podcast are all of a sudden talking about. So it's a recognized issue we have. And it seems that the solution that's emerging to it is less about... Stabilizing and reforming society To enable everybody to collectively Participate in a level Of population resurgence Allow everybody to fuck freely or whatever But based off of how The, the, the guardrails Are mm-hmm. hurting civilization A certain percentage of society is starting to address this Or think about it, right? And we'll have the resources to access The technologies that will enable um, greater, and health, uh, greater birth rates And mm-hmm. healthier children so that's kind of the direction we're heading. And I think we've painted a pretty dark scenario. But do you feel like on the trajectory we're at right now, that's exactly what we're heading to? That's not unreasonable to think that with the current arrangement of things, that's exactly what the situation we're going to be. I mean, it, uh, I, I think it's, it's definitely a possibility.
1: I don't think it's you know, certain that that is yeah. going to be the case. Or I, I don't even necessarily think it's like a hype probability that it will be the case but it's a concrete possibility um because you you look at other variables i mean you look at like another you know medical technology anti-aging right um there's been a lot of groundbreaking research in that field and what happens when you know you can just live indefinitely right What, what happens when that reaches escape velocity and you know, you're extending people's lives by 10, 20 years, and then another five, 10 years by another 40, 60 years. And then all of a sudden people that are alive today are going to potentially be able to live forever, barring any crazy accident. Right. When you're able to have technology that, you know, isn't just applied to a fetus, but applied to you now to get rid of diseases that prevent you from aging. Um, that's just one thing that would completely reshape society and that hypothetical future case where you have this elite class. Now you might have a different elite class that never dies. (laughs) Right. And that's also a possibility, but like there's so many, there's so many interconnected variables that of course, like this is an impossible thing to confidently assert. Like, yeah, we're going to have an elite genetically modified class. Uh, they might also, you know, society might also Just self-implode from people from, right. Like anti-aging pills, for example Could become so cheap That um, you have Societal collapse happen Because there's a bunch of fucking Old people that have Technically reached retirement age And now are like just living off And they don't want to have kids And so there's nobody working Like, I mean, who the fuck knows um, But no, I I, I think I think anytime you make distinctions between people, you're exacerbating a sort of tribalism. And we know from many conversations we've had and from basic research on the topic that tribalism uh, reduces empathy in individuals, right? Like you see them as less valuable. That's, that, that, that's why you're able to go to war, right? Between the different tribes. You're able it's to trust, you're able to kill another human being and not feel too bad about it right you're trying to say something no okay i'm giving you the deaths there
0: (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah
1: um i'm not sure exactly where i was going with this i think i sort of somehow answered your question
0: i see your point and i think that it is important to note that the certainty of anything in this conversation is difficult to imagine because who could have predicted how our society evolved in the past 100 years right
1: oh nobody predicted the like internet for example right if you were in the 1950s your idea of the future was missing the most critical component of the future but the
0: baseline infrastructure was already emerging in that mass communication was slowly becoming a thing and like something was taking shape that you can kind of trace the logical evolution of the internet and i think with if we have a baseline of that's a good point, yeah that, that's trying to, that we're going to be addressing mm-hmm. and i think at some point this is going to become more and more of an issue i mean we talked about that the population of south korea is going to start experiencing some very difficult um, statistical shifts in even a hundred years. So there's going to have to be some sort of conversation or solution that's offered up to this discerning. I mean, maybe we'll start cloning people. Who knows? But it, it what alarms me, and just like we were we had in our conversation um, on last episode, episode 19 about artificial intelligence, what alarms me is that nothing about our current socioeconomic and political arrangement suggests any other pathway that could be taken except, you know, the exclusivity of some of these products, right?
1: Well, it's our political system is so slow to react that you basically you just have a scenario where anything goes that the
0: free market will reward, right? And it sounds like like based off of the projections for how much money there is to be made off of this sort of tech fertility industry—that's exactly the direction the market is heading. In.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we if we, if we look at the power of pharmaceutical industry right yes. now, yes, then we extrapolate more that or even more power to these fertility companies, uh, anti-aging companies, etc. Yeah, it's it's. So it's, let
0: me ask you a meta question: Is to live. Sh- struggle with um, maybe conditions or difficulties that were almost guaranteed based off of how you were born and to eventually die. Is that what it defines to be? As in, if you start programming some of these things out, right, is it making you less of a human because you're no longer facing some of these factors of adversity? Yeah, I think... I I think that is what what is part
1: of being human. Um, I think it's what defines the best people, right, that exist in our society. And I, I don't I don't mind using that term like best people. Um because I mean, think about someone who has had no adversity in their life. It's very difficult to imagine that they have had the full human experience, that they can fully appreciate things that someone who has gone through adversity, you know, does appreciate. Um, so I do think to be robustly human, you need to overcome adversity. Mm. Um, having said that the new age, uh, of human life that is, is, is coming could pose its own adversities that we're not privy to now. And it may not include, you know, adversities in terms of health issues, diseases, and whatnot. Um, so I don't think it necessarily, I don't think these genetic improvements are necessarily going to dehumanize us, but they do run the same risk of making us more complacent with um they 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 run the same risk that we see now in 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 modern day society where we're too comfortable Mm. right like where we, we we don't have to go hunt our food right so like like modern day society has that issue you know it's the same question applied to modern day society compared to like neanderthal times right uh so we're still human but we're a very different human the like our, our humans were cavemen Our, our yeah yeah our, <laughs> but 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 you, you know what i yeah. mean like our day-to-day life is just so much what's well, alien it's to alien it's, yeah. and, and, and and so in the same way this kind of future genetically modified human life is also going to be vastly different and have its own issues and i and i do think Um, I don't think not having disease is going to be the big issue, (laughs) but I mean, you know, the movie Gattaca, honestly, again, to go back to that film, it illustrates, you know, like some, some of those key issues where, like, how do you, if, if everyone has access to genetic modification, Mm -hmm. At some point, you're going to converge on like the best set of genes, right? There's going to be little, you know, distinction between individuals. Now, we already talked about like the biological implications of that, which could be devastating if they don't develop other mechanisms to address those issues. But just think about it from a purely cultural standpoint and from the culture of like status and just human to human interaction, like you're losing a lot of novelty by converging on a set of genes. I'm not saying there's only going to be one set of genes, but there's going to be a smaller number
0: of unique profiles. And it's almost curious as to what is going to make the short of like desirable genes versus not. It's like, oh, well, let, let, let,
1: let's say, you know, let's say it turns out because like blue eyes are like very much in demand in society. Right. And look, a lot of people. Yes. Yes. You can pat yourself on the I, back. I did on the work. Yeah. Yeah. But like if it turns out in 200 years, you know what? Like that's the best eye color. Like we're just going to give everyone blue eyes, blue eyes. Okay. That's fine, but now everyone has blue eyes and no one has like it, it, all of a sudden eye color is irrelevant.
0: Unless By giving everyone it's going to cause like a almost like a fad shift where like somebody's going to have brown eyes and then everybody's like oh shit. Yeah, it might reverse. Yeah. So
1: maybe 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 that's the solution you're in perpetual like, you know. It's like a it's like a sinusoidal function, mi might yeah forced yeah genetics so that's that's potentially what what could happen, but I, I don't know i just i just feel like i mean what happens when everyone's two hundred i q when everyone has the perfect level of conscientiousness and empathy, and when you're trying to find a mate, the only thing different is brown eyes versus blue eyes you know like at what like where like part of the richness of human life is, is the uncertainty, the variety, the variety. But when everything is certain and when there is no variety, what, what differentiates humans from pure algorithms, right? Input output in a very predictable fashion that, that is a terrifying future. And to me, it seems like as much as, you know, I'm in favor of rationalism as much as, you know, I think technology is very fascinating and interesting and has obviously many benefits to society. Mm -hmm. That's a very terrifying scenario. I think, you
0: don't? I mean, it removes the certain elements of chaos that I think dictate and shape our species where, and I, I think you hit a very valid point where once you start removing these things and you start removing the variety of human existence, you are essentially producing something that is kind of separate. And, do do you think my premise is valid, though? Yeah. That
1: if you are going to have genetic engineering, that it will converge on less variety in terms of the gene pool.
0: I do. I I think, and the saddest thing is, I think it's going to be so boring. It's going to be the most like milk toast. <laughs> like just, I mean, well, okay, fine. Like Jeff Bezos is like the superior entity because he made the most money in our current system. So let's just program ourselves to be like jeff bezos well you know this
1: actually makes me think of another question real quick we we are assuming that people will even converge on what they think is preferable like we're assuming that we will know what's actually better but like let's look at intelligence for example earlier we talked about well it seems like innate that we prefer intelligence Of course, there's different types of intelligences. And if you select for one type, you might lose the other, lose the other. So that's kind of a black box that we're not sure of. Um, But if you have, you know, it's possible that, uh, you know, in any system, if you maximize one component, in this case, in a society, if you maximize one individual, that could come at a huge cost to the system. Hmm. So even though each individual could be maximized, what happens to the system when everyone's a genius and everyone has, you know, super amount of conscientiousness, but at a group level, you don't have the people that, uh, you know, want to do other functions. You know, let's say they, they don't want to go into healthcare to care for people. They don't want, they don't have the same level of creativity. Maybe, uh, I know some people say intelligence is related to creativity, but, and again intelligence being a broad term it's kind of hard to even talk about this but there's all these unintended consequences and we know from evolutionary psychology and game theory evolutionary biology in general um that there is a phenomenon called group selection where evolutionary forces act on groups themselves Hmm. and not just individuals and they can end up also affecting you know what happens to the individual individuals within the groups as well in terms of the, their genetic predispositions and how they get shaped for example if you have a society with again a hundred people and only two are psychopaths that might be a good balance unless you're in a place where there's a lot of war maybe you want more psychopaths because they're going to be better at killing the opposition there might be better aggressive leaders for that particular time like you're always in flux maybe in a more stable time period you want very minimal psychopaths right. in your society and, and, right
0: and if you start coding genetics you will lose the variance and you'll yes. just have everybody wants their kid to be like napoleon bonaparte mm-hmm. but if you just have like a population full of napoleons like that's going to be a completely dysfunctional society Yep. and and that introduces like the Albus huxley approach of brave new world where you have tiered, mm-hmm. you sort of replicate, artificially replicate the variations in society by creating a very rigid hierarchy of like genetic modification. So, inevitably, some people are going to have to be coded to be like the lowest rungs of society because you need them in order to even justify the existence of the higher rung. Um, yeah, it's fucking nuts. Okay, well, do you think in your lifetime, Let's say we we discuss some of the technology that's accessible right now. Do you think that you would be okay in using things like embryonic testing? Determine not not just like genetic disorders that could exist at birth, but propensity for things down. The Is that something that you would be comfortable in introducing into your um, thought process?
1: Um. I, I think probably um, I, I would certainly look into it more myself I haven't really done like the most research on it per se but I think uh, I think I would because you know if you I mean just imagine you have a child and they have a crippling disease I mean and to think that you could have prevented that but you didn't like that, that, I mean that—that that is a recipe for lifetime anguish. It is so. Yeah, I mean, I—I I think we, you know, we've been very, again, we doom a lot. We're very alarmist. We love to jerk each other off <laughs> over <Absolutely. laughs> over all these existential issues. But, you know, this is in this one narrow case. If you think about it, like that is such a wonderful benefit of technology. Like you have to. That's something you have to respect. You have to, you know, you have to be kind of fair when you're criticizing technology because that's fucking insane.
0: Yeah, to I be mean, able yeah, to do that, I can definitely see the utility of it if you have a history of a certain <laughs> disease in your family, and you're able to predict that. You know, in my family, for instance, we have a lot of strokes, and if you can somehow mm-hmm. identify within an embryo whatever like genetic sequence that's going to contribute to that propensity, and you could see it, and then at this point right now, your only option would be to just not use that embryo. But yeah, like, guaranteeing that a kid won't have a propensity for strokes, I think that's something that everybody would agree a positive thing. And even the elimination of certain—oh, boy, here we go. The elimination of, of certain diseases, um, maybe that's worth thinking about as well. But I do still always come back to the point that I think this is like such a lazy approach. Like Instead of creating a more equitable, just, healthy society from a policy standpoint, we're just going to create a technology that can like eliminate certain elements of it. The-
1: it, it does, at least at this point, seem like a band-aid yeah. to, to a much bigger issue. I, I, I do agree with that. And, and maybe that's an unintended or really an issue that we haven't explored a whole lot is what impact will that ha- have on these other societal issues, right? Right. Where do they get swept under the rug because we have this kind of band-aid that seems to work just, just to hold things up.
0: Right. And we started the show off by discussing the various crises humanity faces just because we're going to be able to genetically code our way out of um, schizophrenia. It doesn't mean that we're going to resolve the ultimate Looming climate catastrophe we're facing—it's like oh sick—we have all these like amazing genius IQ uh, uh, individuals at a certain percentage of our population, but they're just as fucked as the rest of us because sea levels are rising and we can't cope with that. Unless they're the ones that're gonna think of the think their way through it, think their way through it. But that's yeah, that'll probably happen too late. Is my guess. The 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 funniest thing to me is that a lot of the personalities that are beating the public discourse on this, people like Elon Musk, objectively speaking, they view themselves as like really hot shit, but in reality they're like cringe as fuck. And if they're the ones that are like, oh yeah, we're gonna produce like the perfect specimens of children, and it's just like our elite class is going to be continuously just like the most cringe. Like Well there's one thing that I don't know if genetic engineering can
1: solve and it's uh human uh propensity to uh, delude themselves, yeah. right? There.
0: <laughs> like so that's you just create a, uh, a bunch of really humble, high IQ people, <laughs> and just they're it's going to be grounded in like self-criticism <laughs> and self loathing A bunch of geniuses <laughs> that don't know their geniuses. <laughs> just.
1: Well, um, yeah, crazy, crazy things happening in the world. Always, and so much more to be explored. Uh, we're going to have a lot of more AI content. A lot more AI content.
0: Thank you to um, all of you who have joined us recently. Um we are now at hundred and one YouTube subscribers. That's a big deal for us. Huge milestone. Um twentieth episode as well. So 20th episode. I think statistically speaking we've outlived a lot of other podcasts.
1: I think ninety nine percent of other podcasts. Yeah?
0: So um continue to engage with us. We love hearing from you. Like and subscribe.
1: Especially if you've made it all the way through the episode. Yes. And you still haven't hit the subscribe button.
0: What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, reach out to us on Twitter. Radius underscore of. Awesome Twitter handle. Um, and stay on top of it, folks. Keep watching. Keep listening. Have a blessed day. Blessed day. Children of God. <laughs>
1: Take care, everybody. Take care.